Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Well, the young man says to him in verse 30, or verse 20, excuse me, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Now, a wiser man, a more mature man, would have said, that's impossible, you see. I, I, I try to live a godly life, a pure life, a whole life, a holy life, but, but I find, Lord, that I fall short. For our next message, we begin a rich young ruler, beginning in Matthew 19, verse 16. Now, Pastor Sam takes us through the story of Jesus encountering the rich young ruler and discusses how worldly possessions can get in the way of that which is truly valuable, the kingdom of heaven. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19. We pick up today at verse 16. Matthew 19, 16, the title of our message, A Rich Young Ruler. If you don't have a Bible with you, ushers are coming down the aisles, raise your hand. They'll be happy to loan you one of ours. As you're finding your place or your way to Matthew 19, somebody emailed me this. i got to share it with you. Two cars waiting at a stoplight. The light turned green, but the man didn't notice it. A woman in the car behind him watching traffic pass around them. The woman begins pounding at her steering wheel and yelling at the man to move. The man doesn't move. The woman is going ballistic inside her car, ranting and raving at the man, pounding on her steering wheel and dash. The light turns yellow and the woman begins to blow the car horn, gives some inappropriate hand gestures and screams profanity and curses at the man. The man looks up, sees the yellow light, accelerates through the intersection just as the light turns red. The woman is beside herself, screaming in frustration as she misses her chance to get through the intersection. As she is still in mid-rant, she hears a tap on her window, looks up into the barrel of a gun held by a very serious-looking policeman. The policeman tells her to shut off her car while keeping both hands in sight. She complies, speechless at what is happening. After she shuts off the engine, the policeman orders her to exit her car with her hands up. She gets out of the car. He orders her to turn uh, and place her hands on her car. She turns, places her hands on the car roof, is quickly cuffed and hustled into the patrol car. She's too bewildered by the chain of events to ask any questions and is driven to the police station where she is fingerprinted, photographed, searched, booked, and placed in a cell. After a couple of hours, the policeman approaches the cell and opens a door for her. She is escorted back or escorted back to the booking desk where the original officer is waiting with her personal effects. Her hands, he hands her the bag, excuse me, containing her things and says, I'm really sorry for the mistake. But you see, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, making those inappropriate hand gestures in front of you and, and cursing a blue streak at him. Then I noticed the Choose Life license plate holder, the What Would Jesus Do bumper sticker, the Follow Me to Sunday School bumper sticker, and the chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk. So naturally, I assumed you'd stolen the car. <laughs> well, you got to be careful out there. Matthew nineteen sixteen, a rich young ruler. 
from the get-go, here in verse 16, we learn seven things. Well, if you add a couple that Mark and Luke tell us, seven things about this man that sort of set him apart from, well, most of us, ordinary people. We were told, Behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, we know if you look at all three gospel accounts that this guy was rich. So he was secure financially. He was young. Well, so he was enjoying youth's vitality. And he was a ruler, so he had stature socially. The fourth thing we know about him is he was intelligent. We get that even here in Matthew. He came to Jesus. That's always a sign of intelligence, of of. Well, a, a bit of wisdom even. If you don't know something and you want to know what life's about or what life's plan is, well, Jesus is and has the answer. So secure financially, he's a rich, young ruler. He's intelligent. He comes running, we're told in Mark's gospel, he came running and knelt before the Lord. That tells us he was intense and he was humble. Now, I know what some of you moms are thinking is, are there any more of these guys around? I got a daughter, she's going to be getting married. Hey, if you can find a rich, young, socially together guy who's intelligent, who is intense and yet humble, well, that's just about the whole package. But it's even more than that. We find that he's in tune spiritually. As he comes to Jesus saying, good teacher, he asks a very important question. What good thing must I do, well, that I may have eternal life? We learn three things from this seventh thing that we see in and about him. Though he was blessed materially and temporally, he knew there had to be more. He believed in eternal life. We see that. He says, what good thing must I do that I may have eternal life? He desired to possess it personally. Hey, what can I do that I may have eternal life? And he seemed willing to do whatever was necessary. Any good thing. I'm thinking, he's thinking, hey, a donation... I've got time, I've got talent, I've got energy, I've got bucks. Anything you want, Lord, you just name it and it's yours. Now what's interesting is the Lord is going to name it, and this guy's going to struggle greatly with what the Lord requires, but that's yet a little bit further down. Jesus immediately, well, as he comes running and kneels before the Lord and asks the question, Jesus immediately tries to broaden his horizons. You see, he called Jesus good. And of course, Isaiah tells us there are none good, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray, all have turned our own way. So when he says, hey, good teacher, Jesus says, why are you calling me good? There is no one good but God. Now, some have mistakenly thought Jesus was saying, well, I'm not good because I'm not God. I believe the exact opposite is being said. Jesus is saying, if you recognize my goodness, then that must lead you to recognize who I am. For only God is inherently good. All of us born in sin, all of us have demonstrated that reality by acts of sin, but God never sins. 
God never sins. Jesus tempted in all ways, and what does the scripture say? Yet without sin. So what he's trying to do is, is, is he's saying, look it, you're seeing something in me, and it's real. It's goodness, it's purity, it's honesty, it's integrity. But I want to challenge you to think about what that means. And if you see Jesus as any less than deity, and what that word means is he is God, well, then you've actually taken something from him. He is the Son of God, and he is God the Son. And I believe when he says, well, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. In essence, he's saying, hey, you are so close, so close. Come the rest of the distance, you see. You've heard that saying, so close and yet so far away. That's where he is. He almost sees Jesus for who he really is. And he's this close to, to really getting there. Well, he does answer his question and he goes on to say, but if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. You want to enter to life? Keep commandments. Keep the commandments. Now, if you were a student of the scriptures, you know that the Bible teaches that by the works of the law, the law no flesh will be justified in his sight. In other words, you're not going to be saved by keeping the law. But since this guy had grown up with the law, Jesus is simply saying, well, I'll tell you what, you want to be right, keep the law, keep the commandments. Now, a wiser man, a more mature man, would have said, that's impossible, you see. I, I, I try to live a godly life, a pure life, a whole life, a holy life, but, but I find, Lord, that I fall short. And the wise among us today will all acknowledge, hey, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. We're not excusing our sin, we're not justifying it, we're not rationalizing it. We're simply acknowledging that, hey, we have sinned and we do sin and thus we are in need of a savior. A wiser man would have said, Lord, have mercy on me. I can't keep the commandments. I've tried and failed. Well, for all this guy's got going, he isn't wise and he asked a question and I'm sure after asking he was sorry he asked, but he said, well, which ones? And the Lord answers, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He takes the second table of the law, those commandments that relate to our interpersonal relationships. First table of the law deals with our relationship with God. Second table of the law deals with our relationships to one another. And he takes the second table of the law and he says, just obey the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Taking that last, well, it sort of summarizes the others and, and turns a lot of negatives into a positive. You see, if I love you, you don't have to worry about me murdering you. If I love you, you don't have to worry about immorality. You don't have to worry about lying. You don't, well, it doesn't happen when you love someone. You're going to do what's best for them and what's right for them. And so, in essence, he's saying, well, keep these commandments and you'll be just fine. Well, the young man says to him in verse 30, or verse 20, excuse me, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? A statement and a question. All these things I've kept from my youth. Now, I believe he was sincere, and I'm not even sure he was deluded. 
Because the Apostle Paul will later write, according to the law, blameless. What did Paul mean by that? He meant when he looked at the law and he evaluated how he lived in light of the law, he was living with a clear conscience. He wasn't, well, he didn't consider himself a murderer, though he had participated in the stoning of Stephen, an innocent man. He didn't consider himself, no doubt, a, you know, a, a, an adulterer or a thief or one who would bear false witness, probably honored his parents as well. But, but Paul, like this rich young ruler, he was someone that was evaluating the law based on how you dealt with it outwardly. Now, Paul hadn't heard Jesus' teaching in this area. Most of you have, but if you haven't, let me just tell you, Jesus says, hey, never committed adultery? Good. It's a heinous sin. It defiles the whole person. It destroys relationships. But know this, if you've looked on someone to lust after them in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. And so what's Jesus saying? It's the inner thing, not just the outward act. What about murder? Few of us, hopefully none of us, have murdered anyone. But have you ever hated someone? Because Jesus says, hey, if you've hated, that's, that's murder in the heart. And what's Jesus doing? He's saying, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That even the most clear conscience, or the man with the clearest conscience, or the woman with the clearest conscience, as far as the overt acts of disobedience, well, he says, you're still guilty sinners too. Why? He wants us all to know that we're guilty, so we'll all cry out for mercy. He came to save us, but he can't save someone who doesn't know they're a sinner, or doesn't acknowledge their sin, or doesn't ask for forgiveness. So he says, all these I've kept from my youth, and then note, in spite of the fact that he claimed to have a clear conscience when it came to the law, he still sensed something was lacking. Now that is a bit of a sign of wisdom for a young guy. And for all he had going, he is in the right place, asking the right questions, and almost there, so close, and yet so far away. Jesus, honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. The young man, all these things I've kept from my youth, what do I still lack? And I was thinking that that would be a good question for us. What's that one thing, Lord, that... Well, if you wanted to change something in me today, if there's something hindering me moving on with you or growing up in you, being faithful and fruitful for you, and hey, what would that one thing be? Because he's going to tell the rich young ruler, here's what it is for you. And I'm certain that this might be it for some of us, but it's not going to be it for most of us. So the question is, what one thing, if anything, is hindering us, keeping us from experiencing all God's planned and purposed for us? He says, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, and know this, we're told in one of the other gospel accounts that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus wasn't frustrated with this guy or burdened by him. No, he looked at him with compassion, and he loved him, and he said, this one thing you lack. Now, I've thought long and hard about that particular statement of our Lord, and I'm pretty certain if I were to stand before the Lord and say, what do I lack? He'd get out a list, you know, he'd have a scroll, and he'd say, well, you don't, I don't have all day for you, Sam, but let's just go over page one, you see. 
Because there is a lot lacking, let's be honest, in each of our lives if we're going to be faithful to the Lord and fruitful for the Lord. But the Lord I've noticed, well, he's so gentle in dealing with me, and I'm sure he's that way with you as well. It's so wonderful. He deals with us one issue at a time, one struggle at a time. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. That's how we learn. And, and it's applying those lines and those precepts. That's how we change. That's how we're transformed, by the renewing of our mind and by a commitment to obey. So this guy comes and says, whatever you want, I'm willing What do you need, Lord? What can I do? I just want to be in the kingdom. I just want everlasting life. So Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, and don't misunderstand that word in verse 21, it means complete. If you want to fulfill the call on your life, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now he gives them three commands. And he makes one promise. He says, go sell all you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. The promise he sandwiches in is you will have treasure in heaven. And you got to know when the Lord asks you to give something up, he always blesses you way beyond whatever you might give up. He's going to make that so clear as he speaks in a moment in relationship to, well, what he wanted from this rich young ruler and what he was willing to do for him, what he was promising to him. But for us here today, you've got to know that the Lord wants more than, well, all our bad habits to be a part of the past and and bad attitudes to be a part of the past, those known sins to be put in the past. There are things that you and I engage in that are perfectly legal and lawful and moral and even in many ways acceptable. But the Lord could be saying to some today, I want you to forsake that. I want you to leave that behind. And if you're anything like me, you'd be like, well, Lord, there's really nothing wrong with that. I mean, every, lots of people do that, and it's not sin. I've read this book. and But see, if the Lord's requiring something of me, he's doing that because he has something for me. And that thing is hindering whatever it is he's wanting to do in or through me. And so today, some of us are going to deal with big sin. I mean, God's going to be saying to you, forsake this sin. If you're a liar, if you're an adulterer, if you're a murderer, or if you hate or lust, or if you don't honor your parents, or hey, if you don't love your neighbor, you need to repent of that. That's big stuff. It's, it's right here in red, see? It's clear. But lots of us would say like this guy, hey, I'm okay in those areas. I, at least I think I'm okay in those areas. And, and I have repented of the dishonor I've shown or the dishonesty I've practiced. And I, I, Lord, what still do I lack? And he's going to say, hey, I want this. Or I want you to leave that. I want you to forsake this. Well, if you want to be complete, he's saying to him, if you want to fulfill the purpose for which you were created, go sell what you have, give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You know, the Bible warns us not to work to be rich. And some have misunderstood, and you know that the, that some say that money is the root of all kinds of evil, but that's not actually what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money 
is the root of all kinds of evil and sin. It isn't money itself. Lots of wealthy people in Scripture had a heart for God, walked with God, and were used by God. Abraham was a very wealthy man. His son Isaac inherited his wealth. Jacob, likewise, his grandson. And so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were all wealthy. King David, incredibly wealthy. His son Solomon, one of the wisest and richest men that ever lived. And all of them showed, well, a heart for God and, and a walk with God. Now, they all sinned against God, but my point is this. Money isn't really the issue. It's where our heart is at towards money. And if we love earthly, temporal riches, well, Ecclesiastes says it like this. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance will not be satisfied with abundance. And I've noticed personally that if I'm sensing a need for something, there is no amount of that that is enough. If you're a person that finds security in your finances, you will never get enough money to feel totally secure. Because if you put it in stock, it can lose value. And if you put it in real estate, well, something can happen there. And Wherever you invest, it can lose money. And even when you don't invest, well, you put it in the bank and say, well, at least it's safe here. And then inflation eats it up. If your security is in temporal, financial, or physical things, well, you don't have any real security. And, and so the balance in all of this is, hey, listen, we're told to work and provide, not just for ourselves and our families, though the one who doesn't is, God says, is worse than an unbeliever, worse than an infidel. So we are to work and we are to provide. And we're to provide in excess so that we can help those who are in need around us. So we're to work and, and be faithful. Then we're to be compassionate and help those who are struggling. But in the midst of it, he says, don't work to be rich. Don't make that your goal. Don't set your heart on riches because they make themselves wings and fly away. Later, John will write, stop loving the world. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, it's of the world and it's passing away. And his point is, all the stuff we look at and pursue and long for, he says, it's temporal and it won't last. Now, I know this isn't everybody's issue. But since it's what he's dealing with in the passage, we at least have to hit it head on. And then it's important that we take a little bit of quiet time sometime in this service to just say, Lord, that one thing, you know what it is. Maybe it's a doubtful habit or, or just an, an old pattern or maybe it's something you're engaging in. In any case, when this guy hears the word from the Lord, he goes away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, what if he'd been poor? And, and the Lord had said, well, sell all you have, give it to the poorer. You know, you'll have treasure in heaven and follow me. He just said, you got it, Lord. Used to be, you know, VW, but it's been so long since I've seen that many of those. Have to upgrade to like Toyota or something. So, you know, you're driving your 15-year-old Toyota. You've got the, the, the bumper held on with bailing wire and duct tape. And, you know, you're jumping it every other time and because it only starts every other time. And, and the Lord comes and says, I want you to give that car away. And, you know, whatever you get for it or sell that car, whatever you get for it, give it to the poor. You're like, it's yours, Lord. I, I'd rather have a bicycle anyway. Well, let's be honest. 
if you got a brand new Beamer or a Lexus 430 or, you know, you're, you're driving a Jaguar and the Lord says, I want you to sell that car, give the money to the Jesus Center and uh, you'll have treasure in heaven and you'll follow me. Well, oh man, well, but what will I drive now? I mean, this is, this is an issue for me, see, Lord. Well, it's not an issue for me. I got a nine-year-old Toyota, so I'm okay. And uh, I'm willing to give it up at any time. But the bottom line is this. If there's something and it's hindering, the Lord is so good to put his finger on it, you see. He's saying, your heart, man, it's got to change. It's got to change. And so let's let it go. Let's make a change. When I think about the rich young ruler and Jesus' comments about a rich man entering the kingdom of heaven, I think about Psalm 37, 4, which says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You see, if I'm not delighting myself in the Lord, the desires of my heart are going to be very much the same as the desires of the rich young ruler. You see, it's much easier to do this as Psalm 37, 4 says, for God does not just give us the objects we desire, he plants the very desires into our hearts. So his gifts will always be of so much more value than anything the world could offer. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.